Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. This is our special Things We're Politically Thankful For edition of the podcast. Just a heads up, there will be no Three Martini Lunch on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. We wish you a very happy Thanksgiving Day with your family, whether you're defying draconian governor orders or not, and you're just staying with your immediate family. Have a wonderful day, and uh, I know we'll be joining you and being thankful for all the the blessings we have. On Friday, we will have our very special annual Black Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, where Jim and I so generously uh, come up with gifts for political figures and sometimes other folks, too. So... Make sure you're there for that. We hope you do join us. Jim, let's talk about the things we are politically thankful for. We should point out today we're also sponsored by the Headspace app, but uh, we are going to each name three things we're politically thankful for in alternating order. Who do you have up top? So a lot of years, Greg, we do snarky and sarcastic and ridicule political figures we don't like. And we're our usual gleefully cheerful, obnoxious selves. And I'm going to be a little bit different this year because it's been a one hell of a year. Very rough on a lot of people. The theme of today's morning jolt was very much things we can be thankful for, even what feels like an absolute dumpster party of a year. And so my first and foremost, probably the most significant development of the year since the arrival of SARS-CoV-2, aka COVID-19, aka the coronavirus on our shores, The vaccines. Uh, The Moderna vaccine uh, works and doesn't need to be stored on super cold temperatures. The Pfizer vaccine works. The Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine works. It's easier to mass produce. It's cheaper. And there's a good chance that Johnson & Johnson uh, will make four working vaccines, all available, rolling out to Americans as early as December 12th or so. That's two weeks from Saturday. Um, And, you know, obviously rolling out more week by week, month by month. And by the way, let's make a note. If the Johnson & Johnson vaccine works, as it appears to do, it will mark the first time a product from Chris and Woody Johnson has not disappointed people. So really, really good work. (laughs) Anyone who thinks, man, why why does Jim have an issue with Johnson & Johnson? Does he he hate the Band-Aids or something? No, Chris Johnson and Woody Johnson are also the owners of the New York Jets. The joke's less funny if you have to explain it. But you get the idea. So look, I mean, look, this... And by the way, if you go back and check, and I did it this morning... There were a bunch of people who were not sure, certainly were not certain we'd get here this early, and some people thought that a vaccine was just not likely to be workable, uh, but the degrees to which coronaviruses can evolve and, uh, and such, you know, made, some people thought we would never have one, many thought it would take many years, we have done it in a matter of months. So thank you, pharmaceutical companies, I know you get a lot of unfair grief and aggravation, you get unfairly demonized. You are literally the saviors of humanity. You have saved us all from uh, having to live like this uh, with, you know, restrictions and such forever. Um, this will probably be in the, the hall, in the hall of great human and American achievements there. And by the way, we should point out, you know, Oxford, lots of other companies around the, the Western world have helped out a great deal. So um, probably the single biggest thing I am thankful for uh, as we head into Thanksgiving, Greg. Jim, we should also point out that Woody Johnson is the ambassador to the United Kingdom. Are you also thankful that he didn't move the Jets to London or after this season? Is that a a, a question up in the air? After this year, they can take him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously that is a huge, huge development. We know that vaccines normally take years, if not uh, more than a decade to develop, but with the 
all hands on deck. Uh, Operation Warp Speed, you have to mention that. That's certainly uh, part of the funding process, or at least the the distribution process, depending on the the deal made with various vaccine developers. Uh, Everybody uh, in that community was in on it uh, in terms of trying to get this done as quickly as possible, as safely as possible. And we know we're going to have the the multiple doses. We know that uh, from what we're hearing, that second dose, at least in some examples, is going to kind of knock people out for a day or so. And so that that needs to be uh, articulated well. But uh, we're hopefully to the point, even though Fauci thinks we're going to be kind of in this mode for at least another year, that uh, normal is coming now sooner rather than later, and hopefully even sooner than that. Uh, Jim, my first thing I'm thankful for is Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Mm, uh, this is choice. obviously some low-hanging fruit this year, but um, you know, already in the Trump administration, we got Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. Gorsuch has had a couple of head scratchers uh, along the way, two especially this year on the uh, Civil Rights Act and the uh, the Oklahoma case, I think, surprised a few people. But overall, I think. Uh, he's a, a fair, fairly reliable originalist. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, I don't think, has done much to disappoint all the people that uh, worked exhaustively to get him through that circus of a confirmation process. And then, of course, uh, as happens many times, uh, there's a vacancy due to death. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg died in mid-September. As soon as she did, of course, with the election just a few weeks away, you had a lot of folks hearkening back to 2016 when Mitch McConnell would not uh, advance the nomination of Merrick Garland. He said the Republicans control the Senate. It's an advise and consent process. We say it should be up to the next president. That gamble paid off. That's how we got Gorsuch. This time, the Republicans controlled the White House and the Senate. It's full steam ahead, even though a couple senators originally said it's too close to the election. Mitch came out and said, keep your powder dry. And then the next thing you know, Amy Coney Barrett, Everybody already had all of her information up on Capitol Hill because just a couple of years ago, she had been confirmed uh, to the Seventh Circuit. So everybody was ready for this fight. You could roll it out faster than you could have for anybody else. Everyone on both sides was pretty much ready. And Republicans uh, had the votes. It's ridiculous that I don't think any Democrats voted for Amy Coney Barrett. The idea that she's not qualified to be on the Supreme Court is insane. So it was politically uh, dangerous, I guess. I I don't think it cost uh, Trump the election. It certainly didn't cost many Senate Republicans uh, their seats. And uh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, from everything we've seen, will be another strong defender of the Constitution. And while we extend our condolences to the Ginsburg family, much more so than Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, uh, Greg, this entire series is going to be, you know, you, you know, I put something out, then you put something out, and I feel like, dang it, I should have thought of that one. <laughs> but that's why you go second. So excellent choice. So yeah, when a presidential election doesn't go Republicans' way, knowing that uh, there are other branches of the government that uh, might be in a strong position to defend the Constitution against what other branches might do over the next few years is, is a good thing. It helps to give you some peace of mind. And Another uh, place where you can possibly find that is headspace because, look, life can be stressful under normal circumstances, and 2020 has taken normal circumstances and raised it extensively. Uh, You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes, and that's where headspace comes in. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever your situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. 
Are you feeling overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Do you need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. And as I've said a number of times now, our chief of operations says that uh, several of my colleagues at Radio America have used Headspace. He says, covering this news cycle, our employees definitely need to decompress and recharge each day. Our team uses Headspace to refresh their minds, flushing out the daily buildup of conflict, chaos, and worries that drag all of us down. He goes on to say it makes them sleep better at night, they're more focused during the day, and they just feel better, which we all need in a year like 2020. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happy, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash martini. That's headspace.com slash martini for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal being offered by Headspace right now, so head to headspace.com slash martini today. All right, Jim, we've each got our first item we're politically thankful for in the books. What's your second one? So uh, similar to the first one, but it's it's slightly a different category. It is medical experts in the medical community in general even Dr. Anthony Fauci, which I'll get to in a second. But look, so if you liked the writing I did earlier in the year about the coronavirus as the pandemic was hitting us, everything from the Wuhan labs to the uh, possibility of mutation to um, the, you know, how the virus works, um, the hydrochloroquine and all the other uh, aspects of this, I was able to draw upon an enormous amount of knowledge. And I understand why people kind of roll their eyes when they hear the term medical experts. It's good for at least a good two decades, maybe three or four, Greg. You know, medical news has generally been experts released a new study saying that beets are wonderful for you and in fact can prevent cancer. And then about a year later, it's like experts came out with a new study that says beets are deadly for you and in fact can cause cancer. And you, you look at it like, ah, what do experts know? Um, Look, this has been a crisis that has required more brilliant medical minds all around the world to focus, sort things out, figure out how the virus works, what makes it unique, how it can be attacked. Um, And I have spent more time reading medical journals and heavy duty uh, medical news uh, websites and, and all that stuff than I ever expected to in my lifetime. The vast majority of these people are utterly brilliant. The vast majority of these people um, are giving their best assessment based on what they can see and what they know. The best, the best of them don't make sweeping statements like beets will cure, cure cancer or will cause cancer. Um, and thus, you can, by the way, I, I picked beets at random. I have not heard anything about beets if you're thinking. <laughs> um, this, you know, our, our second sponsor for the day is not the National Coalition to Oppose Beets or anything like that. So, um, and so, look, this has been a year in which we've been confronted with Uh, something that was largely unknown. It is a novel coronavirus. It's called that because it's new, not because everyone should buy my novel. Um, (laughs) It is, and so we're dealing with the unknown. And in some cases, nothing is more scary than the unknown. Well, all around the world, uh, but particularly here and in the UK and in Europe, brilliant minds went to work, started working in the lab, starting dissecting what they could figure out, ran the tests, studied the patients, 
um, and accumulated just an enormous amount of knowledge that is what has made these vaccines possible. And also, I should point out, uh, increasing rates of, of treatments, uh, including what we saw with the president a few weeks ago. The FDA just approved that for uh, everybody a day or two ago, and um, uh, various other treatments. There, there are studies who are indicating the death rate for people who check into the hospital is down to about 3.4%. That's really good news. People who are, uh, go, who are staying in the hospital generally are spending less time. It's been from about uh, you know, the 9, 10, 11 day range to about you know, four or five day range, which is a really big step as well. So medical community, in addition to the pharmaceutical companies, you guys have just stepped to the fore. Thank you for everything you have done. I have not needed you much this year, knocking on wood, but I feel confident in your hands. So thank you for everything you've done, medical community. A lot of work being done in that area uh, this year, obviously. And again, like the vaccine, done with a lot of pressure on them to get that research done as quickly as possible. All right, on to my second uh, thing I'm politically thankful for, Jim, the Abraham Accords. Uh, you know, at the mm. beginning of the Trump administration with uh, Jared Kushner uh, kind of being put out there as the point man rather than the Secretary of State, although that I think that has changed quite a bit over the course of the administration. I think Mike Pompeo has uh, become a leading figure on that. Uh, but at the beginning, uh, it was branded by the media and, and some others as amateur hour. Nothing's ever going to happen. They're just going to make things worse. But uh, on, on the military front, uh, the, the president was very direct in, in getting rid of ISIS, and uh, that threat seems to be pushed back, at least for the moment. Uh, dropped a bomb on uh, Syria uh, to let, put them on notice. But the big thing was getting uh, Gulf states and other Arab states to recognize Israel and to help uh, establish economic ties there. Israel, Bahrain, United Arab Emirates, and Sudan are now all recognizing each other and establishing economic ties. We just talked earlier in the week that it appears Netanyahu met with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, which would be an historic moment in Middle East peace. I think a lot of people four years ago would have said this was impossible. We played the clip of John Kerry from back when he was Secretary of State saying, never going to happen. You can never have this happen unless there's peace between Israel and the Palestinians. Well, We'll see if that's the case. Who knows when there's a flashpoint in the Middle East, whether these uh, Arab states are going to maintain these relations or whether things will get frayed. But as for now, it looks like the focus has been on where can we find common ground with these people? We're not going to find common ground, perhaps, on the most contentious issues between Judaism and Islam, of course. But we can have economic ties. We can have travel exchange between our countries. And there's stories that other Gulf states and other Arab states are coming on board. Uh, whatever happens in what is increasingly likely to be a Biden administration, I hope they don't just powder keg this and burn it all down because they want to get the Iran deal back together. I hope they build on this because this is probably the most encouraging developments we've seen in the Middle East for a while. You know, for the second straight time, Greg, dang, I wish I thought of that one. <laughs> Well, you know, you're, you've been focused so much on COVID, how it started, what happened in Wuhan, the, uh, I mean, charting it step by step all the way through. This has really been your focal point throughout the year. So that's the point that you've been stressing. And I, I can kind of snipe from the sides here on some of these other things. So, But it's good to know that we've got a variety of things we can actually be thankful for. 
Hey guys, it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations. And if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite favorite podcast app don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe jim what's your what's your number three if you thought my first two were really big and encompassed a lot of people wait till the third one um strange as it may sound greg i am very thankful for voters this year uh you know look you maybe the candidate you wanted won the presidential race maybe they didn't uh if you're listening to this podcast probably not um you know the the you maybe you felt good about how the senate races went the house races uh, certain states had governor's races, state legislative races, and all the way down the ticket. As of this recording, more than 153 million Americans participated in voting in, in this year's elections. And I think that, you know, we'll, it usually takes a few weeks. Uh, if you think that, you know, New York and California are being ridiculous, listen to the Black Friday podcast, because I'll have a few things to say about that. Um, but basically, you know, Americans demonstrated that they care. Uh, a couple of past episodes of these podcasts, Greg, we've talked about uh, calls for mandatory voting and why that's a terrible idea. Uh, and I want to preserve your right to not vote. But if you care about these things, if you care about what your government does, if you care about ensuring the protection of your constitutional rights, if you think um, the people in charge of our government are uh, not always the brightest people in the room, the sharpest knives in the drawer, if they are not always thinking of the common good and every, the good of everyone, if you think they can be selfish, if you think they can be corrupt, if you think they can do a bad job, if you think they can be utterly incompetent, well, then you should vote, in part because in our constitutional system, this is your chance to veto them. This is your chance to say no. You know, there are a whole bunch of powers that are given to the government. Some might argue too many powers that are given to the government, but in our system, they all have to stay, you know, to get reelected. They all have to stand before you and you get a chance to judge them. 153 million Americans have done it. By the time it's done, maybe we'll be up to 154 millions. Um, I don't want to quote the exact percentages on uh, voter particip- you know, registered voters and overall potential uh, eligible voter participation, but they're pretty darn high this year. And look, the stakes were enormous. This was not a uh, quiet year. This was not a year where there was not a lot at stake. And as you may have heard this morning, Barack Obama is contending Republicans did better because, among Hispanics because of gay marriage. Um, Greg, did you see any messaging on gay marriage in the entirety of 2020? No. I, I've, I pointed this out earlier in the day on Twitter. I, I'm sh- maybe some race somewhere, somebody did it. But no, I don't think gay marriage was a driving issue in 2020. Mr. Former President Obama, you may have noticed we had a lot of other stuff going on uh, for much of the year. So no, gay marriage was not the driving issue and it's not the reason Republicans did better amongst uh, Latinos. Nice try to blame it all on homophobia and all that kind of stuff. Um, No, but Americans care. And they demonstrated that they will come out. They will come out during a pandemic. They will vote early. They will vote absentee. They will, you know, they see it as a duty. And Americans, even though we didn't vote for the same folks, I'm glad you came out and voted. I'm glad you made your voices heard. Absolutely amazing, Barack Obama. But uh, I mean, these people probably do. There's a lot of uh, people of deep faith in the Hispanic community. I'm sure they do care about that issue. Uh, But it was not one that was heavily campaigned on or articulated by certainly President Trump, who's pro-gay marriage. And uh, 
other Republican candidates, maybe in, in local races that we didn't get to follow very carefully, uh, it happened. But apparently 12 years later, we're still all bitter clingers, Jim. All right, let's get on to our final one. And Jim, I'm kind of cheating here because I'm combining two into one. Remember in the 2012 uh, Democratic uh, campaign where Obama and Biden were running for re-election and the big thing at the convention was Osama bin Laden is dead and General Motors is alive? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going on a twist of that kind this year. I'm excited that Qasem Soleimani is dead and Irving Schmidlap somehow is alive. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent selections. So, I mean, I know it's hard to believe because it happened at the very beginning of the year and it feels like we lived through about 20 years in this one year, but the U.S. killing Qasem Soleimani actually took place this year. It was in the first couple days of January. You might remember the liberal media for at least uh, a week or so was convinced we were headed to World War III. And now half the country probably forgot that it even happened. But Qasem Soleimani uh, was not just a high-ranking military figure in Iran. He was uh, pretty much the head of executing the vicious agenda of the uh, Revolutionary Guard. He was responsible for orchestrating troops and plans that directly killed U.S. forces in Iraq to the tune of at least hundreds, if not more than a thousand. Uh, There was a a time there, especially during the insurgency, where the Iranians were killing more people than AQI and others in Iraq. He was an absolutely dastardly figure, targeted his own people at times when they rose up to resist the regime. There's nothing uh, to to mourn here, even though the uh, the media was uh, playing the Iranian state TV, talking about what a tragic day this was and how the world was on the brink of of uh, deadly war, but uh, Qasem Soleimani being dead is only good news. And Irving Schmidlap for years has been kind of the generic name uh, for any bureaucrat or just any random person. And then as the Democratic presidential field for 2020 grew past 10, past 15, (laughs) past 20, up to I think eventually 25 or 26, we got to the point where Jim was saying, yeah, even Irving Schmidlap's going to get in this thing at some point. And then it's not us. We promise it's not us. The Irving Schmidlap Twitter account popped up and began responding to all the developments uh, and encouraging people to vote for Schmidlap. I don't know if folks actually did vote for Schmidlap. I'm sorry to say that he never popped up in any of those Democratic polls, but I have thoroughly enjoyed the tweets this year. And uh, Jim, based on his reaction to the podcast, I think Irving Schmidlap's probably the best Democrat we could have hoped for. And maybe 2024 comes around, he'll be the nominee. Who knows? You know, uh, Greg, he really is the ideal Democrat (laughs) because he doesn't exist. Um, You know, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm just going to note that, uh, Greg, I love it whenever the last words of any enemy of the United States is, hey, what's that coming towards us? Uh, And then finally, this one other little, you know, you're right. It's easy to forget. It's been a long year. Greg, I don't know about you. I'm just really glad we got Soleimani before the virus could. (laughs) <laughs> um, just got just snuck it in there before the deadline. But, uh, and as for Irving Schmidlap, no, I'm not the wrong person running the account. You're not the person running the account. It's obviously a listener to this program. Um, and I checked the Vermont presidential write-ins. I don't think there was any Irving Schmidlap there. Not every state does this, but I'll have to look and see if he did get any votes. But, you know, it's like anything else, Greg. I think deep down the true Irving Schmidlap lives in our hearts. And maybe the true Irving Schmidlap the friends we made along the way. <laughs> if I remember Schmidlap's tweets correctly, I think he lives in Utah because uh, I think he wrote himself in there at least. And whether it happened, there you go. Else, now I know where to look. <laughs> I don't know, but if there's more than one, I'll be really, really excited. And uh, even if there's one vote, think of all the people who 
actually announced that did, that he did better then because they all got out before any votes were actually cast, including our likely next vice president of the United States. Yeah, I know that's that's something like one twelfth of what Gilmore got in in, in Iowa caucuses back in twenty sixteen. <laughs> Heck, you know, depending on how many friends and relatives he managed to get to write in, too. Maybe he beat Gilmore. I don't know. <laughs> I don't mean to pick on Jim Gilmore. We love Jim Gilmore. 2024, it's all coming up roses for Irving Schmidlap. We'll see what happens. But, the uh, gilmore Schmidlap unity ticket will bring us to <laughs> half this ticket exists. Amazing. Jim, happy Thanksgiving to you and uh, your family. Happy Thanksgiving to our listeners. Like we said, it's been a very difficult year. I'm sure there are listeners who... Uh, have someone that's not going to be able to join them and not just because uh, you're trying to stay safe this year, but uh, perhaps they're no longer with you at all, whether it's due to COVID or something else. And that makes the holidays a difficult time, but uh, continue to cherish their memory, continue to cherish the family that you do have. Jim, I certainly cherish uh, the work that we do together on a daily basis. So again, happy Thanksgiving uh, to you and we'll see you again on Friday. Indeed, Greg, thanks to you for uh, doing the vast majority of the work for this podcast day after day. Uh, best to the Columbus family and to all of our listeners. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful and safe weekend. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Don't forget Jim's book, Hunting for Horsemen, a dangerous click novel on sale now. Also remember to subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We always love to see your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. You can also get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a very happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the day. Remember, no podcast tomorrow, but we'll see you for our Black Friday special on the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch.